And let us pray. May the words of my mouth and all the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our God and our Redeemer. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of my favorite Advent songs is the one that says, It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Now that's the one. <laughs> I love that one. It's beginning to look like Christmas everywhere you go, the songwriter says. But is it so? With the high cost of living and all the industrial actions going on around in the world and the general hardship around the world, it's this period of Advent beginning to look a lot. Like Christmas is coming for you. Well, I hope so. I honestly hope so. Advent season is a gracious time of decorated streets, family get-togethers, excited children, dinner parties, lots of food and fun. And we experienced a bit of that last week, isn't it? Lot of food and a lot of fun at our Christmas uh, lunch. But beneath the decor, beneath the splendor, beneath the carols and the lights of Christmas, I suspect that there may be very few of us here, few of us who are listening to the sound of my voice this morning uh, who doesn't have something bothering them. Something causing them a bit of frustration, a bit of doubt. An expectation that is beginning to look a lot, a lot like it might not be achieved. John the Baptist in our gospel passage this morning appeared to be in the category of the many of us who have something bothering us. In this passage, John sounded a bit worried. He sounded a bit frustrated, a bit disappointed because he is in prison. In our reading last week, we met him as a free man in the open desert, preaching the word of God, full of enthusiasm, full of zeal. He sent me to give the good news to the poor. He was out there preaching the good news to the poor last week in that reading. That's why we met him in the open desert. And in his preaching ministry in the wilderness, the people, missed, the people thought he was the Messiah. They mistook him for the Messiah. And he said to them, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not the Messiah. See over there. Look over there. He is the Messiah, not me. He pointed the spotlight on Jesus. He encouraged the people and urged the people to repent and to be baptized and to submit themselves to Christ the Messiah. At this very high point of his ministry, the Messiah himself came to John and asked to be baptized. John did baptize the Messiah, and in that baptism, something dramatic happened. The heavens opened, we were told. A dove came down, rested on Jesus, and there was a voice that said, This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. The heavens opened, and God himself spoke. Now, if there was any doubt, I am sure the open heaven, the dove, the voice, they were all enough to expel all of John's doubts about who the Messiah was. 
That was a divine confirmation of identity. Not that one over there, not the other one over there, not those up there, but you see the one the dove is resting on? That one is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And now John, who has been in the center of all this dramatic revelation, finds himself in prison with an expectation that the Messiah was going to set the captives free. He is in prison because in Matthew chapter 14 from verse 1 to verse 4, he had criticized Herod of Antipas for marrying his brother's wife. He has criticized the leader for committing adultery. He spoke up for God. He spoke up for the gospel. He spoke up for what Jesus stood for. He spoke up against Herod of Antipas. And the free wilderness preacher is now incarcerated. It's now in prison. And in prison, in one, in, after a year, it was beginning to look for John a lot like he might not get out of prison. The long time in prison brought fear. It brought anxiety. He brought loneliness, depression, and powerlessness. Those may have undoubtedly deemed John's vision of who the Messiah was. Herod may have put John in jail, but John's own understanding or misunderstanding and expectations of the Messiah imprisoned him as well. And so in his Advent waiting period, he sent a message. He sent his own disciples to ask Jesus a question, a question demanding clarification. Are you the Messiah or should we look for another one? John the Baptist represents many of us who were frustrated, worried, and anxious about the outcome of something coming up in our lives. Those of us who cannot see a way out of the prison cells of a bad relationship. Those of us who cannot see a way out out of the prison cell of a bad deal, of a bad situation. Those of us who are worried about our health. He represents those of us who are worried about our finances, our welfare. We're worried about our children, worried about our nation, worried about our world. He represents the many of us who are asking the question this morning, Will God answer my prayer this Advent? Will the surgery go well? Will God help me in my struggle? Will he make a way for me on this difficult path? These are honest, genuine questions that we ask every day. Some of us, we ask them aloud. But for us, perhaps we ask them quietly inside. Will God answer my prayer? Will the surgery go well? Will God be my helper in my struggle? These are genuine questions. And Advent does not excuse us from asking them. And so when John's disciples brought the question to Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we look for another one? In his reply to John's question, Jesus said, as Tony read for us just now so beautifully, Jesus said to them, go back and report to John what you hear, what you see. The blinds receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hears, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Go and report that back to John. In other words, here Jesus recommissioned John's disciples to go and encourage John. Go and tell John about the progress in the kingdom of God. In the NIV version, it says, go and tell John what you have seen. Go and tell John what you have heard. And of course, that's why I got the theme from go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. 
Go and share your testimony to the world incarcerated by the chains of sin, of wickedness, and darkness. Go and encourage the Johns out there who are going through difficult times, those with expectations that are looking a lot, a lot more like it might not be achieved. Let them know that those who put their trust in the Lord will have their strength renewed in adversity. During this Advent season, let us be encouraged that in the world we will have tribulations. That's what Jesus himself said to us. In the world we will have tribulations. We will have seasons of, of, unexpect, of unmet expectations that will bring doubt, that will bring a little bit of anxiety, that will bring worry to us at times. But Jesus said, be of good cheers because I have overcome the world. Encouraging a nation that was in distress in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 2, the prophet Isaiah said these words to the nation. He said to them, when you pass through the waters, God will be with you. Perhaps this Advent, I don't know who I'm talking to. Perhaps this Advent, you are passing through some difficulties. Perhaps this Advent, you are passing through some choppy waters. Perhaps this Advent, you are going through turbulence. Be assured in the words of the psalmist that even though we walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, we are to fear no evil because God is with us. So you are not alone as you are passing through the difficult situations. You are not alone as you go along in this turbulence and choppy waters. So put on your seatbelt of faith. Put on your seatbelt of truth. Put on your seatbelt of trust in God because God is with us. For he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. But it is very hard I must confess to you, it is very hard, isn't it, to accept this when we are passing through the storms and the challenges of life. It's easy to say, easier said than done, as people will say. But when you find yourself in that situation, to tune up, to say, yes, God, I trust and I believe you that you are with me, it is just not easy. And we feel at times the absence of God. We do not sense his nearness to us. But he assures us, he is with us. On Friday, my wife Grace and I, we visited a church member who has been unwell for a while. But she's on the mend now. And she was in fine spirit. Had a wonderful time with her. Had a good conversation. It was absolutely brilliant spending time with her in good, good spirits. And during our conversations, she said this that got me thinking. She said, whenever we think God is far away from us, we are to check who has moved. Whenever we think God has gone away from us, she said, we are to check who has moved, who has strayed away, who has moved. And that got me thinking. But she was only expressing gratitude to God for being with her during her difficult time. In his own time of adversity, John the Baptist was not the only one. He was not the only one who had misunderstood the ideals of the Messiah, who misunderstood that the Messiah was far away from him. Jesus' own disciples at times, they thought like that. They thought Jesus was far away from them when they found themselves in the storms of life. They even thought that Jesus 
was a Messiah who's come to lead a revolution to topple Herod and to topple their foreign regime. They understood the work of the Messiah, but doing, but they did not understand the ways of the Messiah. And so are we this morning. We're here, we know what Jesus is doing, we can talk about it, but we struggle to understand the ways of God. We think God will make us have an easy life, but instead he calls us to endure hardship. We want God to eliminate all the sufferings around us, but instead he stands with us during the sufferings. We want him to take away all the pain, but he tells us that I am right there with you in the pain. We want him to make us very strong so we can deal with everything by our own strength, by our own might. I can face it because I've got money. I can face it because I've got a lot of influence. I can do it because of who I am. We want to be strong, but he calls us to lean on his strength in our weakness. We call on him to destroy all our enemies. Who doesn't want their enemies to be destroyed? Lord, destroy them. I listen to some preachers on the radio and on the television. Oh, every day. There'll be fewer people in the world if God was to take action on all those prayers you hear on the television. Fiery prayer, killing all the enemies. But here, look at what Jesus says. We call on him to destroy our enemies. But he commands us to what? To love. To love our enemies. We aspire to be great, mighty leaders. But God calls us to be servants, to serve one another, to be there for him, to be there for one another. And so John's servanthood ministry was to prepare the nations to receive Jesus. But also his mission was to present Jesus to the nation. Perhaps the omniscient, the all-knowing God, knew that John's mission had been accomplished, and the end for John the Baptist was near. The Bible says that it's time for every purpose, a time when you'll be alive, and a time when that will come to an end. Perhaps Jesus knew that the end for John was near. So when John's disciples left to go and encouraged John in prison, Jesus gave an amazing tribute, an amazing eulogy about John the Baptist. Again, as we had Tony read there, an amazing tribute that he was not just an ordinary man, not just an ordinary prophet. Jesus said about him that all of those born of a woman, none is greater than John the Baptist. He was more than a prophet. Yet Jesus said, those of you, and I, who will receive the resurrected Christ and allow him to be born again in our lives and allow him to take control of our lives and allow him to shape our lives and allow him to show us how to please God and how to live for God. Those of us who have experienced the resurrected Christ by allowing in our life the least in the kingdom, Jesus says, is greater than John the Baptist who was more, far more, Jesus said, than a prophet. That tribute for me sounds like, well done, John. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I pray at the end of our own missions, 
at the end of our own work with the Lord, at the end of all the praising God and worshiping God that we have done in this life. I pray that at the end we will hear those words from our Savior. We will hear those words from our Master saying unto us, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done, my faithful servant. And so, as I conclude this morning, whatever you are going through, in this Advent waiting period, let us hear the words of the Apostle James, who said in James chapter 5, be patient. Good things come to those who wait, they say. Be patient. Don't be in a hurry. The world is always in a hurry. People are in a hurry. People want to step on other people to get to where they want to get to. People want to badmouth other people so they can go to where they want to go to. Don't be in a hurry. James says to us, be patient. Anchor. Steady yourself in the faith. Steady yourself in Jesus. Put your anchor down. Put your roots down. Be patient and wait for God. Because Jesus has said to us, in this world we will have tribulations, but we are to be of good cheers because he has already overcome the world. So James says to us, be patient in Christ. But James also says to us, stand firm. Don't be an easy target. Anchor yourself to the strength of Jesus. He wants you to stand with him. Stand firm, he says, and I cannot stand firm on my own. You know how I stand firm? It's by chaining myself to the one who is the rock, the rock of all ages, gluing myself to the one who is the rock of all ages. And that's what he's calling us to do this morning, to stand firm. And the only way we can do that is when we anchor ourselves, when we glue ourselves, when we unite ourselves in his son Jesus Christ. Stand firm, he says, because the Lord is coming soon. His deliverance is at hand. In his time, in his way, he will make things beautiful. In his time, in his way, he will get you out of that prison. In his time, in his way, he will deliver you. In his time, in his way, the healing will come. The provision will come. Whatever you are believing him for will come in his time, in his way. Be patient. And let's put our trust in the Lord and open our hearts that the Christ child may be born again in our heart. And perhaps that might just, just make it begin to look a lot, a lot more like Christmas is coming for all of us because Jesus is the reason for the season. So let us go. Tell it on the mountains. Let us go and tell it everywhere that Jesus is the reason for this season, that anything outside of Jesus, yes, is part of the celebration, but the main reason for what we are preparing for is the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us go as Jesus sent those disciples. Let us go as Jesus recommissioned John's disciples. Let us go and tell the Johns out there, the many, many people who are locked up in prison cells of expectations, locked up in prison cells of unbelief, locked up in prison themselves of doubt. Let us go and encourage them, but let us go and tell them and show them what we have seen and what we have heard.
what we have experienced in Christ, and hopefully that will make life better because Jesus is the reason that we are here. Amen.